Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Eric Clark, the Portfolio Manager for the Dynamic Global Brands Strategy. Uh, This is the audio version of our Q2 2022 commentary, and uh, it's Wednesday, July 13th. I call it a new paradigm because of the inflation that we have and likely will continue to have to some degree over the next at least 12 to to 24 months. So the, the second quarter of 2022 was just as volatile and difficult as the first quarter. Uh, in fact, equity markets just recorded the worst first half of a year since 1970. I mean, that's a 52 year period of time that's a long time, folks. And uh, just to put you know today's difficult markets into perspective, it is not easy to make money in any asset class right now. I mean, even energy stocks are down 25 to 30% in like two or three weeks. So you know, it, it's been a very difficult period for stocks, for bonds, for you know uh, venture capital with uh, with some down rounds in investing. Etc. And that's what happens when the Fed really in, uh, radically uh, increases interest rates to try to fight 40-year high inflation. Today's CPI, we had a, I think it was 9.1 on the core. So, you know, I, I personally think this is probably the peak inflation. And from a rate of change, that really matters. But I'm not convinced that we're going to we're going to get inflation back to 2% anytime soon. So I, I think, you know, while while inflation may have peaked on a rate of change basis and might start rolling off given commodity prices and energy prices have have rolled off pretty significantly, I, I, I have a feeling in the next couple of years, we're going to see, you know, let's call it 4% inflation, which is, you know, twice the normal inflation rate that we've seen over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. 
And, and so that, that has to be factored into your investment process. So when our team saw the data point being the first half of this year was as bad as 1970, naturally you want to see what happened the rest of 1970. Was it worse? Was it better? Uh, and, and to our surprise, the markets performed pretty well for the second half of, of 1970. The S&P was up 27% for that six-month period. And then uh, for the full year period, kind of June 30th to June 30th in, in 1971, I think the market was up a little over 30% in total. And then it got a little bit more difficult. And so, you know, obviously every period is different and every economy is unique over time. But there's, you know, certainly a, a massive amount of bearishness currently across investor sentiment, across small business sentiment, across CEO sentiment. And, you know, Anything that's less bad uh, from a data perspective could certainly be uh, a nice positive uh, improvement from a from an equity market perspective. Um, so I, I show a chart in the in the actual written commentary of what the S and P looked like for the next six months, and it's generally trending higher with a few you know with a few falls for a month or two, and then but but largely ending at the at the highs at the end of the year. Let's just hope for that. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know if markets have bottomed, nor does anybody else. But um, I, I certainly feel like we're closer to the peak inflation at a time when sentiment has i don't never been worse in the data that I look at. So additionally, you know, more picture, more big picture data is likely warranted given how much fear and uncertainty and doubt there currently is. But I, th I thought there was a great quote from Bill Nigren at Oakmark Funds for his, uh, his quarterly commentary. Before this quarter, there were only five periods since 1945 when inflation exceeded 8%. An investor purchasing the S&P 500 following the announcement that the trailing annual CPI increase was above 8%, and it's 9% now, and holding holding that investment for two years showed a median price increase of 17%, which just happens to be the same as for a random two-year period over the last 77 years. So, you know, his 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 point here was inflation is backward looking. Usually when it's this high, it's usually kind of the worst of the worst, and forward returns tend to be no better, no worse than than random and still, you know, above average over a 77-year period, which is certainly good news as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, stocks, via their cash flows and pricing power as an asset, have historically been a decent store of value when inflation is higher than normal. And that, and, and that really hasn't happened just yet. And I think it's because we're in the in that process of rising inflation, rising interest rates. And so that's put a lot of pressure on, on equities and valuations. We started pretty high at 21 times at the end of uh, 2021. And those valuations have, have obviously reset in a, in a meaningful way in some, in, in some asset classes and, and industries. Yes. The U.S. and global economies have a lot to deal with over the next 12 to, to 18 months. I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. 
However, the best forward returns happen almost exclusively in uncertain times. Otherwise, the prices wouldn't be as attractive as they are. So in some ways, you have to look through a lot of the, the pessimism and the negativity and the bearishness um, because you're getting much better prices than you did just six months ago. Whether it's adding meaningfully to, meaningfully to a position or dollar cost averaging on a frequent basis, building bigger positions in the things that you believe in the most. Uh, we certainly believe in the consumer and business investment and via the highest quality companies or brands. While they're on sale, it's consistently been a good investment decision. If you have a time horizon of more than you know a nanosecond, it seems like we're also very focused on today's data, tomorrow's price action, that if you widen the lens a little bit, um, when you get good prices and you have what appears to be some peak rate of change bad data, that's usually a pretty decent time to start legging back in to markets. And we've already seen people are as underinvested institutions and retail as they've been in a very long time. Hedge funds are as de-risked and uh, underinvested as they've been in a very long time. So, you know, at some point, and I think we're going to need to see, you know, a, a month of less bad inflation data, you know, maybe next month, since this month was 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 pretty hot at 9.1. But in good times and bad, consumers and corporations spend and invest for the future. And that is, there is no other mega trend that we see that's more sustainable, uh, you know, companies, people investing in the future. And that's what we do through the dynamic brand strategy. Uh, let's talk about markets a little bit. Volatility across equity, fixed income, currency, and commodity markets has been very high, very spasmic, and that's probably going to continue for a while until we get a little bit more clarity about what the Fed's trajectory is going to be given a slowing economic environment, layoffs that are starting to happen, interest rates that appear to be peaking, at least for now, as well as inflation peaking um, but not rolling off in a in a real meaningful way. So I suspect the volatility is going to stay elevated, stay spasmic, and that's just you know what we have to deal with as as investors for now. But remember, you know Warren Buffett used to say volatility is the friend of the long term investor uh, because you get a chance to take advantage of some some big meaningful swings in great companies um, that that you know offer some pretty attractive uh, entry points. So. Obviously, inflation is high and likely to trend lower, but getting back to 2% inflation, I just don't see how that happens anytime soon. So that's just the, the environment that we, we probably have in front of us. That might mean that multiples uh, should trend lower, you know, kind of, kind of uh, stabilize lower than they have, uh, particularly for the most expensive part of the growth complex. And it also might mean that that we we have a slowing a slower economic growth trajectory ahead. So if you're if you're a you know a cyclical company, and the economy slows, that's not particularly good for you either. But at least if you have good growth, and your valuation has come down, and you can grow in in excess of the overall market and your peer group as well as inflation that's likely where money rotates into and i think we've seen some of that you know money going back into growth uh over the last couple of months so 
the re the reality could put pressure on company earnings over the next quarter or two. We're getting ready to start earnings here with JP Morgan tomorrow. So it'll be interesting to see, to hear their commentary. Uh, and then we'll get into the big tech brands and, and consumer brands after that. So, you know, brands with strong pricing power and the ability to still sustain their, the, 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 the revenue line because people want and love their products that, that have solid balance sheets, relatively stable end demand, and that are operating in these, you know, important secular growth trends, they should, in our opinion, outperform much, you know, the average stock. So investors are facing a unique investment environment. You know, cash still earns very little, uh, doesn't lose you anything per se, but it certainly doesn't keep up with the purchasing power uh, and inflation. So while it may feel good as asset prices are coming down, um, it certainly isn't going to get you to where you need to go from an investment perspective over the long term. Uh, unfortunately, you know, like I said, cash doesn't compound the way you're going to need it if you're saving for retirement or some other long-term goals. And there's about $4 trillion sitting in money markets earning absolutely nothing. So eventually that money is going to need to get more productive at some point. Bonds finally look probably a little bit more attractive than, than they have for, for many years. But with inflation so high, you know, the, the coupon isn't, isn't really that high. Uh, the volatility in the asset um, in what's supposed to be your safe asset uh, is much more elevated than, than we've all grown accustomed to. So I still think, you know, total returns in bonds is going to be, you know, half of what it used to be. Cash earns you nothing. And so, you know, stocks are still going to be something that's, that needs to play a part in somebody's portfolio. And those now have have meaningfully reset. Maybe we have a little bit more to go. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. But valuations have gone from 21 times on average to about 15 or 16 times, which is certainly a much more reasonable uh, number. So, you know, as somebody who has at least a 12-month or, or longer time horizon, and we really should all have that, if you have a six month or a three month time horizon, then then you're a trader, you're not an investor. So if you're an investor, we urge you to look through the noise of today and be opportunistic as prices come down. I recommend doing a dollar cost averaging strategy with your favorite funds, themes, or ETFs, because we don't know if the markets are gonna hit, you know, Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley's target of 33 to 3,400, or even lower if the Fed has a real policy mistake. So if you get some dollar cost averaging on a, on a weekly, monthly basis, then you at least can kind of, kind of get better cost basis and add to those positions that are down um, at, at these lower price points. I know the process is painful. Believe me, I, I, as somebody who's been in markets for almost 30 years now, going through this particular period since late November of last year has been unpleasant. You know, the, the, honestly, real price discovery is much better for markets long term. The Fed has been distorting markets by manipulating asset classes and and distorting the yield curve etc for a very long time and and over time the longer that happens the more we just think things you know the normal price discovery mechanism is normal and working but it isn't so the process of de-anchoring from 
constant fed intervention, you know, the fed using a sports analogy, the fed being the referee, but being on the field and being a part of the game that that isn't healthy long-term. So at the end of the day, it's the businesses, the economy, the trajectory of these companies and, and, and their revenue line and their margin line. That's really what ultimately matters to, to equity markets and to equity returns. So I, for one, would much rather see the Fed step back and stop trying to support everything, every, you know, every time we have a soft patch and just let the real market discovery happen. That's a process that could be painful though, as, as they're doing quantitative tightening, the real tightening really begins in September. So I suspect, you know, we're, again, we're gonna see some volatility along the way as price discovery and, and that supply demand picture comes back in balance uh, as the Fed starts to, you know, to not be so accommodative. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about consumers. Consumers obviously are, are under pressure from high prices. You know, we're, we're being squeezed across every part of our lives. You know, I call it squeezeflation or screwflation. We're all experiencing it. You know, I just got back from, from Tahoe and I've never seen $30 hamburgers and $30 pizzas in my lifetime. So, you know, our potato chip bag has less chips and is more expensive. Dining out is more expensive. Going on vacation, staying at a hotel, taking a flight, going to see grandma across the country, it's more expensive. And so eventually, and I think it's already begun, that, that forces consumers to change behavior uh, and make some different decisions than they once had than they once were making. They tend to consolidate the number of brands that's th that they stay loyal to, and they tend to trade down where appropriate to save money in you know what I consider to be maybe essential but not you know really important categories. You know, using my family as an example, I noticed that my wife is spending more time shopping at Trader Joe's for groceries than she did. She used to go to you know Trader Joe's for certain things and then go to Whole Foods or Sprouts or or the local meat market. She's she's going to Trader Joe's or Costco more uh, because their prices are are better and she, and we're doing less on the higher priced items. I, I suspect most families are doing something like that. So uh, uh, eventually brands that are raising their prices may start to lose some demand and then they have a decision to make you know i'm sure that their cost structure has gone down a little bit as food costs have gotten better and agricultural costs have pulled back but you know when your demand starts to uh, starts to wane you have to start making a decision on changing price and we've seen that in in names like target and walmart as inventory uh, has swelled there. You're going to see a lot of discounts as we head into the uh, into the holiday season for for shopping, which is obviously good news for consumers. So, as investors who focus on brand relevancy, we have a great read on which brands are being favored by customers, which brands are are the most vulnerable and probably to, likely to stay away from from a stock market perspective. And, you know, so remember in volatile and uncertain times like today, it's really important to zoom out and remind ourselves of the major mega trends within consumer and, and technology that are happening because as prices come down, you get a chance to take advantage of those themes and those companies. You know, one of, here's a couple of themes that we're certainly focused on over the next five years, 
over a billion consumers are going to join the middle class around the world. And, and we know when people, you know, move up in income and education, they tend to act differently. They want, they reach for better things and better lives for their families. They aspire to own higher quality goods. They like luxury items. They like to travel more. They eat better. They become brand loyalists in general in all the important spending categories. So there is a major secular advantage and theme happening as people join the middle class and brands become more interesting to them as they have more money and get more educated on what options they have out there. Uh, in addition, there's an epic wealth transfer process underway. I, I don't really think it gets enough uh, media attention. There's about 35 or $40 trillion worth of, of assets that are being slowly trickled down from older, you know, baby boomers and, um, and older Americans down to Gen X and, and millennials. And, you know, when you're a saver and you have a bunch of money and assets and you're, and you pass on and you transfer that to a younger generation who saves, but also spends, that slight nuance of additional savings can really be a good buffer for overall retail sales and GDP. And, and I've seen it with my own friends, my friend network, people are inheriting houses and, and or inheriting, you know, the enough money to go buy a vacation home or, or put in a pool in their current house, or just generally have some extra, you know, breathing room and savings that, that adds to, you know, their overall spending and, and corporate America's revenue line. So, you know, corporations are also changing their habits. We've already seen news from Netflix and Meta, the old Facebook and Microsoft and a bunch of others that they are cutting staff, you know, that they probably overhired during the pandemic when business was really robust. And now people are right-sizing, companies are right-sizing their staff, cutting costs where they can, as as the economy cools off and you know like consumers they they tend to prioritize in their decision making and uh th there's a there's a great you know younger company called Qualtrics um that we don't own in portfolios but they they tend to you know take the pulse of corporate america and their overall view was that companies will not likely shift their innovation spending, their technology spending, that digitization and automation and robotics and being more productivity, being more productive, all the things that they spend on for that area. Um, they're probably not going to cut back as much on that in favor of, you know, pulling back T&E spending and corporate travel and things like that, uh, that, that, that are not as core to the long-term growth of uh, of the business. So, you know, they can cut, they can cut hiring, they can cleanse some of the current labor force, rationalize some workers and pull back, you know, some non-core spending, but they, the good ones anyway, tend to grow and spend right through a full business cycle, including the slowdown and or recession. And so, you know, the, the, that's a major theme for us as we as we invest from from the technology side. I mean, if you if you look at technology stocks overall, they have certainly been under severe pressure. The worst two or three sectors for the last six or seven months has been consumer discretionary, communication services, and technology. And, and unfortunately, that's where we tend to spend the most amount of our investment time because that's where the most relevant iconic brands live 
in those three sectors. And so you've had this massive valuation reset and the highest quality consumer tech brands haven't traded this cheap to themselves and the market for, for many, many years. Their dominance is not in question and now their valuations have been meaningfully reset. The corrective process is always painful. It may not even be done, uh, but the importance of key technologies and their ability to help companies and consumers be more productive is not in question, uh, not even a little bit. Um, I, I put a chart in here, which I think is is kind of a, a proof point from brand consulting firm Cantor Media. You know, every year they release their their top global brands report, which talks about their the 100 brands that they think are the most iconic, the most relevant brands uh, around the world. And they highlight how much brand value has grown across sectors. And consumer tech brands have added the most value over the last three years versus other important sectors and industries. And so when you have a strong, when you have strong brand value and it's been, and it's significantly grown over the last three years, but your stock has not reflected that because of a major, uh, a major correction. I mean, that's a real opportunity. The, the proof is that the brand is becoming more valuable, more relevant, and is growing more than other brands. And the stocks are now on sale. And that's the obvious opportunity if you can look through some of the short-term noise. So the, the current brand's portfolio is much more concentrated than it's ever been since 2017 when we took over the fund and 2016 when we started the strategy in a separate account. So in times of uncertainty, less companies will thrive, less companies have sustainable pricing power and less companies have strong end demand. So being more concentrated in the names that you believe have those things certainly is, is prudent and logical and, and, li and likely warranted. So that's where we are about 20, 20 names in the strategy right now uh, on the fund side. You know, in aggregate, this is a very high quality portfolio with strong sales and earnings growth projections. The portfolio contains strong free cash flow generators that have strong histories of compounding investments at highly attractive rates. You know, strong management teams with, with lots of forward vision and the ability to invest through a difficult period. So when you come out of that difficult period, you've taken market share and gotten even stronger. And that's the benefit of, of having these great brands. They tend to grow the most relative to peers through difficult times because they have the balance sheets and the, and the forward thinking and innovation to be able to do that. So the, the, the strategy holds brand leaders that are dominant franchises driving household consumption and corporate innovation. Uh, the brands we hold are dominating key uh, key mega trends and their valuations have been significantly reset. Never feels good, but the end result is you, you feel much better about where we are today from a valuation and growth perspective than you did uh, for, for many years. No one knows when the markets are going to bottom. No one knows when corporate fundamentals will matter more than the global macro data does as it does currently. What we do know is that over the long term, company fundamentals drive long term returns. The most dominant brands are going to continue to get more valuable, have and keep that sustainable pricing power, keep that in demand, and will take market share from re less relevant, less profitable brands when times get tough. And you've already seen a lot of these less relevant brands, their valuations 
have been have been cut even more than the the, the most iconic brands. I, I mean, Under Armour, <clears throat> you know, uh, Holes, so many companies that are just losing market share and losing relevancy have just been cut. I mean, you've seen so many stock, the average stock in the NASDAQ is down 50%. And you have names like Zillow that's down 80 plus percent. I mean, there's the, the carnage across the growth complex is literally epic and not seen since 2000 to 2002 or three when we bottomed. So again, I'm going to be, you know, kind of beat the drum here. When stocks go on sale and valuations get reset, forward, forward returns tend to be attractive. From a psychological perspective, investors and advisors, I, I know you love to buy when the markets are calm and prices are high and things just are kind of steady eddy moving forward. But the reality is when valuations are, are high, forward returns get lower. And history suggests that the best returns come from when you're buying low, after corrections, after big valuation resets. And that's where we are today. And so, you know, if you still believe in the consumer, if you still believe in businesses investing in their future and investing in leaders of, of industries and high quality companies and brands, you know, it's probably a pretty good time to start that dollar cost averaging because I know a lot of your portfolios are down. A lot of your equity strategies have had big corrections. And so, you know, wrap your arms around the, the themes that make the most sense for you and clients and, and start adding to those and building bigger positions and getting better cost basis. So the lastly, from a holdings perspective, uh, you know, if you look at the top 10, uh, we definitely have an overweight to what I consider to be the smartest uh, investors in the room, and that's private equity. Uh, the Blackstone is about a 13% weighting, KKR, another private equity firm, about a 7% weighting. And, you know, the thesis there is, yes, when markets get volatile, investors in markets can have some deterioration in their stock prices. And that and that's happened across Blackstone and KKR. But if you think about this environment, in difficult times, companies' access to capital, particularly as funding costs get higher, gets more difficult. So Blackstone and KKR are sitting there waiting for the opportunities to, to be a provider of funding. And at at really good rates because they have the they have the long term view and they have you know between the two of them about two hundred and fifty billion of dry powder so they have the the capital the patience and the wherewithal to put money to work in difficult times very similar to a Berkshire Hathaway with with Warren Buffett they have about a hundred billion in cash or more as well and and they love to take advantage of dislocations like we have for future benefit. And so if you have, you know, Blackstone in particular has about a, almost a trillion in assets uh, of management fees, but they also have about 130 billion of dry powder that they get to put to work. Now, when you put that capital to work, then your fee revenue starts and you get better pricing because you put it to work at lower prices. And so that builds future potential appreciation and compounding effects in that business and, and you know it's got about a five percent dividend yield too so you know i love to be able to add to these 
If we see some additional market weakness, they're certainly not going to be immune from some of the the private company uh, revaluations down. But I think they're they're both they have both for the last couple of years talked specifically about investing for um, inflationary periods. And so I think they're much better uh, equipped to invest in in the kind of environment we have than certainly anybody else I know. And so if you're if you're the best investor in the room and you have a lot of capital to deploy and you're very patient and you're long-term focused, then I love to, to have you in the portfolio. And that's why they are the top two names. Next, we have uh, a little bit of luxury exposure with LVMH, uh, Louis Vuitton. I, I think... You know, luxury spending and brand loyalty and brand aspirational brand shopping just is so strong. There's just no evidence of of a slowing in a lot of this luxury spend on uh, many of the things that LVMH and a lot of the watch companies and and even Capri on the mass market luxury side um, in, in places that they focus. So I love LVMH. They're an incredibly well-managed company, very diverse across different categories. And so we love that one as a top three holding. Apple is number four. I mean, I don't think they're going to have the best quarter, but a bad quarter for Apple is a wonderful quarter for the for for 99% of other companies. So I'll certainly take advantage of, of, of any more weakness in Apple to buy more because they just have such brand loyalty and and such uh, great products across great important categories and and the, the brand love around the world is very high. Then we have Estee Lauder. You know, Vanity never goes out of style. It's one of the best managed cosmetics companies in the world, and certainly they have been a little bit more volatile from an earnings and 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 revenue perspective, in part because of of the volatility in China with supply chains and with lockdowns, but make no mistake, vanity, you know, does not go out of style. And uh, I would love to be able to even add L'Oreal at some point, but uh, Estee Lauder is a big position. Uh, Valuations have come down pretty meaningfully there. Then we have uh, some exposure to the home with Home Depot and Lowe's in the top 10. Uh, You know, if if 85% of consumers are locked of homeowners are locked in at three and a half and below, and they don't see an opportunity to sell or they see a lack of demand for their homes, they stay in their home. And then they decide, well, geez, what do I need to upgrade? So I think that upgrade cycle, plus the typical normal, you know, I got to replace, you know, some decking, or I have to get, you know, you know, home goods like, you know, floor, flooring cleaner, et cetera, et cetera. I just think these companies, while they've had big, meaningful resets in their stock price and valuations, the, the, the actual revenue base is pretty, pretty stable. Then we have Costco, which is just executing flawlessly and a, and a key go-to for consumers uh, in, in this time of trying to save money where they can. Uh, you know, it's it's not a cheap stock, but Costco is rarely cheap. It's it's expensive for a reason, and so that's uh, that's why it's in the top ten. Uh, then we have Adobe, which you know is one of the key technology brands that's a big part of and very similar to Microsoft. Microsoft isn't in the top ten right now, but it's in the in the probably you know top thirteen or so. 
Um, that's a stable corporate brand that just dominates their category and I think is very sticky in from a corporate spending perspective. And, you know, Adobe's last quarter, the analysts kept trying to push them down on estimates and they kept, you know, sticking to their guns. So, you know, they had a chance to lower the bar and they chose not to. So I, I think the trends at Adobe are still pretty good. And then the, 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 the number 10 is Visa. We also have MasterCard in here at a lower weight. And I'd like to add to that one as well. The, the spending, if you think about it, you're still going to spend as a consumer. And if everything you spend on is more expensive, even if your spending stays flat, your Visa, MasterCard are making more money because they take a bite of every transaction. If the transactions are higher, they make more money. And about 70% of every revenue dollar drops right to the free cash flow line. So these are free cash flow compounding machines that have been buying back their stock aggressively during the, the last 18 months when their stocks have underperformed. So eventually you're going to see a pretty accretive, uh, you know, reduce your share count um, and improve your business. Cross-border travel is, is coming back in a big way and should continue. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking for great things as, as these great businesses and their valuations have been reset as well. And so that's, uh, that's where we stand for the second quarter of 2022. I'll do this again after the third quarter. And let's, uh, let's certainly hope that uh, the next uh, couple of, of quarters are much better than the last couple, but from evaluation and a reset of expectations perspective, I think we're in a pretty good spot, even if we might have some volatility and a little bit lower to go if estimates have to come down just a little bit further. Now's the time to take advantage of all of these uh, great companies and their valuations and their stock prices being lower than they've been in, in a few years at minimum. Thanks a lot, everybody. Please contact me if you need anything, eric.clark, C-L-A-R-K, at Acuvest, A-C-C-U-V-E-S-T, dot com. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the Dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the Dynamic Brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.